a great welcome. Thank you. Hey, why don't we take a moment and just pray for Pastor Troy? Can we do that? Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for Pastor Troy. Thank you for his heart. And Lord, I love it. In Philippians 1, Paul says, uh, uh, he talks about the church and he says, you're in my heart. It's not just in his mind, but it's in his heart. And that's special. And I know that this church is in Pastor Troy's heart. So as he abides in you, as he abides in your word, as he abides in your love, fill him with your complete joy as he rests in you. Lord, fill him up. Fill him up. Fire him up. Let him be restful, Lord, and well-rested to come back and do the work that you've called him to do, to be the shepherd in this community of this beautiful church. In your holy name we pray. And everybody say? Amen. Amen. Well, it's great to finally be here. I've heard so much about you. And as I say that, I think about what Paul says in Colossians uh, 1.3. Before I get into that, just want to say, um, I'm a Smyrnaite with you guys. I'm from Smyrna. I know a lot of you are from Smyrna. Maybe Murfreesboro. I met somebody from Franklin. That's great. I've pastored a church here in this community for 10 years called Christ Life. Uh, community. I'm an old Nashvillian. I'm one of the original OGs, I guess. Uh, I went to high school, elementary school, man. Granberry. Who's heard of Granberry? Granberry, McMurray, Overton, Belmont, and here I am still here. So um, it's awesome to be here. Now I am no longer lead pastor of Christ Life Community. I'm a missionary for the unborn. So, but there is a verse that reminds me of you. It's Colossians 1 3. It says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray for you, since we heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up in heaven. Every time I sit down with Pastor Troy, I hear about you and I think of this verse and I think about the love that he has for you, the love that you have for him and how he talks about the love you have for one another. I love how this verse finishes. In verse 5, it says of Colossians 1, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world and is bearing fruit and increasing. Did you hear that? The gospel has come to us. That's Paul speaking a long time ago. And he says, it has come to you and it is bearing fruit and increasing. Guess what? The gospel is still bearing fruit and increasing. With everything that we're facing today in our culture, the darkness, I was just looking at the news today and yesterday and looking at all the people who have been killed throughout Middle Tennessee through road rage and, and gun violence, whatever, you know. Uh, all the darkness that's out there, even in the midst of that darkness, guess what? The gospel is still the gospel, and the gospel is still bearing fruit, and it's always going to increase. You can't stop the gospel, and you can't stop the church. Amen? Amen? Philippians 1.6 says this about the same thing. It says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. We often take that as individualistic about ourselves, but he's really talking about the church. And he was talking about the church back then when he was in jail. He said, hey, God started this, and he is going to finish it on the day of Christ. And that day will come. Jesus is coming back. He will return, but even in the midst of that, until then, there is a work that we are called to do. That's the gospel. That is good news, and that's a good reminder for us to hear as the church. So I will say again, it is the perfect time to be 
the church in America. It's a good time to be a Christian in America. This country needs now more than ever for the church to be the church, for Christians to speak and engage, to be the church that reaches beyond the walls and the pew into our communities and cities that surround us. I'm on the street every day. Every day, I wake up, I put on jeans, tennis shoes, and I go into the heart of the streets in the heart of darkness. There's five things that I see prevalent in our society, and that's not just Nashville. It's right here where we are in Smyrna. It's these five things. Ignorance, rage, hopelessness, hard hearts, and loneliness. The gospel that bears fruit, that is still bearing fruit today, has an answer to all five of those. Today's topic It's not an easy topic. It's an emotional topic. It's abortion. It's filled with all kinds of emotions. There's women sitting in here today that have dealt with it firsthand or secondhand, men as well. And attached to that word are emotions like anger, hurt, Loss, depression, suicide, fear. I see it every day. I live it. Seeing, well, as Pastor Troy brought a political issue into the church, it's not a political issue, it's a Jesus issue. If you're sitting here today, and you're experiencing this firsthand. I know I haven't been where you are, but I know what you're going through. If you have boarded in here and you want to get up and run out that door, but you can't, but you're dealing with anger and you've suppressed the pain of abortion for a few years or maybe 20 years, had a woman 74 years old stand with me two weeks ago that has suppressed it for 50 She still cries. I want you to know I love you. I want you to know that this church loves you, that Pastor Troy loves you. There is no condemnation from the church. There is no shame from the church. We love you. And if you turn to Jesus, he forgives you. There's mercy for you. If you're a man here, we don't even think about that, do we? It affects men the same way. I have men that run to me, they come crying, and everybody always asks two questions. When does the pain end? Does it end? And is there mercy for me? Yes. Yes. If you're experiencing it firsthand or even secondhand, you had a daughter or a friend or something, my encouragement to you is go get help. Go get help. There's great programs out there. Surrender the Secret in Murfreesboro. Numerous women who have been in this setting and men have left here and gone through Surrender the Secret and gotten healed. And guess what? They've come and they stand with me and they've redeemed the moment. The 74-year-old women that aborted 50 years ago came and stood with me with tears in her eyes, had two rescues. She had two abortions. God not only healed her in that moment, freed her from the pain, but redeemed the moment by allowing her to rescue two precious children. 
my journey. I've been doing this for six years. I've been a pastor in Smyrna for 10. I would say the spark that really began everything happened in Louisville probably seven years ago. I was at a pastor's conference called T4G. It's called Together for the Gospel. I was with 10,000 pastors. I was sitting in a huge arena, and we were singing together. We were worshiping together. We were listening to the word together. We were being encouraged together. About lunchtime, they said, go to lunch. We walked out of that building. I was so fired up. I was like, man, 10,000 Christians are getting ready to walk through Louisville. How cool is that? Pastors. This is going to change this city. 10,000 pastors walking through Louisville. This is going to be amazing. And I was probably 5,000 deep in that group, and we're walking through Louisville. And I don't know. I guess I was expecting Pentecost Sunday to happen or something. I don't know. And uh, so we were walking, and I was looking around and just being observant and watching. And I looked over to my left, and there's an, a lady over here by herself praying. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? 10,000 pastors are walking by, one woman's praying, but nobody's asked, hey, why are you praying? So I stepped out of line, and I said, ma'am, forgive me for interrupting you. I know that you're in prayer, but why here? And she said, this is where they kill babies. And it hit me in that moment. I went, oh, 10,000 pastors just walked by and didn't see it. And I've been that pastor. It broke my heart. It, it messed my lunch up that day. I didn't eat that day. I, I was just bothered all day. I was like, I can't believe I've been blind, but the church has been blind. I didn't know what to do about it, so I just kind of rested on it. And then a year later, I was sitting in Starbucks at Sam Ridley. And the day before I was in that Starbucks, I had a conversation with a young African-American man. Ferguson, Missouri was happening. There was riots. There was a lot of anger. And everybody was angry. But nobody really knew what to do. And so people were asking me as a pastor, what are you going to do? You've got to do something. What are you going to do? Share the gospel. I'm going to share Jesus. The young man looked at me and said, mm -mm, that's not enough. I was like, what do you mean? Jesus isn't enough? Jesus isn't the answer to racism and to rage and anger? He goes, it's not enough. I said, what do you want me to do? You want me to hold a sign and walk through the streets of downtown Nashville? I'm not that guy. I'm not going to do that. I said, what do you want me to do? He says, I don't know. And so I left that conversation. I was angry. I was angry at him. I was angry at the statement. We didn't know what to do as the church. Nobody knew. Did we partner white churches, unite with black churches? We didn't know what to do. All I knew was to share the gospel. The next day, I went to Starbucks, Sam Ridley. You've been there? Raise your hand if you've been there. It's a, kind of a crazy Starbucks. It's real busy. All kinds of people, a lot of transient people that are passing through from town to town, go there, and I was sitting at one of those high tables, and I was trying to work on a sermon, I was trying to get into the Word, and I was so distracted by my anger, and I said, Lord, I am miserable, I am miserable, and I'm angry at that young man, I'm angry at his statement, I don't know what to do about it, except give it to you, and so I was sitting there in the midst of all these people, and I said, Lord, take my anger, take my anger, and he didn't. 
I said, Lord, take my anger. I give it to you. And so I'm raising my hands up in Starbucks. Take it. Nothing. Do it again. I said, Lord, I'm not leaving here until you take my anger and you give me something in return. And he spoke. He spoke. He gave me two words. He said, engage abortion. Lord, give me something else. How about feed the homeless? <laughs> no. Engage abortion and I'll take your anger. Had no idea how it was connected to racism. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, who looked at my African-American brothers and sisters and said, you're a weed among flowers. Margaret Sanger looked at you and said, you're an animal unworthy to live. Created the concept to eliminate people of brown skin. I didn't know that. And so I said, all right, where's abortions happen? Do they happen in Smyrna, Murfreesboro, Franklin? I don't know. So I Googled abortion. I found two locations, Welshwood in Nashville, Planned Parenthood in Nashville. I said, all right, I'll go because I'm tired of being angry. And I went with the intention to go sit in my car and pray because that's what we do as Christians, right? We go and we pray and we try to stay comfortable and protective. And I was sitting there praying. There was a mom a young girl about 13, 12 or 13 years old, engaging women going in. I thought, how courageous are they? Wow, but I'm going to sit right here. But a situation happened. guy came out of his car, began to engage uh, the mom, distracted the mom. Another guy engaged the young girl, began to kind of lord over her in a heavy way. And, uh, and I had to get out and protect the young lady. And I distracted him to me. And for two hours, I engaged this young man on the topic of abortion. He was there to kill his child. And he was threatening my life. And I was trying to love him through truth. Two hours later, he killed his child. And I left. I went to the MAPCO over on Harding Place. I was pumping gas in my van. I remember just looking at my hand. I was shaking. I was like, Lord, is this what you've called me to do? He said, yes. I said, okay. I don't know how to do it. I don't know anything about this. And so I knew I had to go with love I knew I had to go in humility. I knew I had to look at the plank in my own eye before I take the speck out of somebody else's eye. I knew I had to go in truth, and I couldn't compromise any of them. So I began to go back, and I began to understand the environment of Welshwood. I began to realize that they killed children on Tuesday and Fridays. Those were kill days. I began to understand that the whole hill there where the abortion mill is and where the apartment complexes are, that the whole place was called Hell's Hill. That it was a dark environment. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? You got to give me words to say. And he said, take the hill back. Take the hill back. I was like, how do I do that? He says, let's start with loneliness. Let's take loneliness out. Engage everybody with the gospel through prayer. And so I would sit there 20 feet from this door and people would walk towards that door. And I'd say, hey, I'm Pastor Scott. I come in love. No condemnation or shame here. But can I pray with you before we go in that door? Rejection. Rejection, 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 rage, 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 just by those words. But then one day, a young lady named Tina was walking towards that door. Ma'am, can I just pray with you before you go in? Sure. Oh, okay. 
uh, before I pray, can I just talk about, hey, why are you here? Well, I've got to get an ultrasound, and then I'm going to abort my child. Can we talk about it? We begin to talk about it. She's like, what do you want me to do? And I was like, let's go somewhere else, get an ultrasound somewhere else. And we left. She followed me in my car. We went all the way into Nashville, got an ultrasound. She came back out. She said, look at my boy. I said, he's beautiful. What are you going to do? And she said, I'm going to keep it. I was like, what? You're going to keep it? How can I have an impact? One man can meet a person within seconds, influencing them to change their mind to a point of not killing a child, but loving that child. I can do this? Oh my goodness. And I went back to Welshwood in the confidence of the gospel, in the confidence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who sits at the right hand of the Father and began to proclaim that love in deep, deep humility, looking at the plank in my own eye before I took the speck out of somebody else's eye, but never compromising truth. And one turned into 10, to 20, to 30, to 40, to 50. I was like, oh. And I began to realize that all these women and these men had needs, these children had needs. I realized that as a pastor in church of a small church of 200 people, I wasn't wealthy enough to meet all those needs. My pockets weren't deep enough, and I was telling them, hey, I'll walk with you, I'll help you, I'll help you raise that child, we'll adopt that child. What do you need? What is your need? I need food. I got you. I got your grocery. Can't pay my light bill. Got it. Can't pay my rent. Got it. Don't have a car. We'll get you a car. Boom. You got it. This is bigger than me. I've got to come back to my church. And so I came back to Smyrna. I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. My wife knew what I was doing. She didn't like it. Because she said, you can die out there. And I was like, yeah. I've had five guns pulled on me. One held to my head. Because I talked a woman out of killing her child and the husband disagreed. One day I was standing there, I was by myself, and people were coming at me hard. I was like, this isn't fun. I looked at my car and the Holy Spirit spoke and said, you can get in your car and go. Go to your coffee shop. Go back to Starbucks on Sam Ridley and you'll be miserable. It's hard here. But this is the resting place that I've called you to. Rest in me here. The Lord began to show me miracles. Miracles. Best of the church, as beautiful as y'all have done this here, and y'all have done a wonderful job. I mean, you got floor mats with victory on it. Come on. <laughs> y'all have done amazing. But the best part of the church will never be in this building. Amen. It will be when you take the church beyond these beautiful, comfortable, cool seats out into the streets. The best of Jesus will never be in this building. The best of the Father and the best of the Holy Spirit will never be in this building. 
It will be when you take the church and you engage the church with the light that you possess and you encounter darkness. Come on, you clap for that. It revived me as a Christian. It revived me as a pastor. It revived me and renewed my faith in miracles. Oh, a young lady was getting ready to abort. She was struggling. She was probably sitting over there with the lady in the pink shirt over there that far away. Thanks for wearing the pink shirt today. I can see you. She wouldn't look at me. She was sitting in her car with her boyfriend. They were looking down. I said, Holy Spirit, give me something. Give me something that will get their attention. I'm standing with a lady named Kathy. And I'm listening. I said, all right, Lord, give me something. And the Holy Spirit said, go to your truck. You got a box of diapers in there. I knew I had a box of diapers in there. I didn't know what to do with the box of diapers. I've been sitting there for a while. I said, all right, I'll go get it. Go over to my truck. I bring it back. And Kathy's like, what are you doing? I said, the Holy Spirit told me to get a box of diapers out of the truck. And she's like, okay, that's a little strange. It's like, it is. And then the Holy Spirit says, put it on your head. Baby right here. Kathy's like, what are you doing? And she said, the Holy Spirit told you to do that too. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm looking at her. And the lady looks up. She looks down. She looks up. Boom. She's crushed. She's crushed. And she can't take her eyes off the crazy dude holding the box of diapers on her head. She gets out. She comes to us. She doesn't even have to speak. We present the gospel. She changes her mind. We threw her the greatest baby shower in Kentucky. Her boyfriend, who never engaged us at that moment, was so happy at the baby shower. What is that? That's a miracle. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And he did that many times over. Eventually, I blew up my church's budget. <laughs> Y'all have a benevolence budget. Do you know how much you spend in benevolence? Some of you might know. All of you should know, though. We used to spend probably about 10000 a year. But when I brought it back to the church, guess what? We spent $35,000 in one year because of all the rescues we were having. They said, Pastor Scott, you've blown our budget up. You need to do something. This is bigger than you, and it's bigger than Christ's life. This is a big church issue. Organize. And we did, and we formed Operation Saving Life three years ago. Operation Saving Lives helps the moms, the children, and also funds our mobile unit where we do ultrasounds on the street outside of Planned Parenthood. Amen? The big question people ask all the time is, what do you do for these women? Anything. We recarpet homes. We've bought at least nine cars to help moms get to work to provide for their kids. We do all kinds of stuff, food, electric bills, jobs. Why? Because as Christians, we're called to do what? To make disciples. Discipleship is not just sitting in a coffee shop doing a Bible study with somebody. Discipleship is life on life. It's dirty. It's hard. And that's what the church is called to do, and that's what we do. I want to say this about the child. The development of the child in the womb. At the moment of conception, there's a flash of light. Did you know that? And in that moment, a flash of light, your DNA is fully created. The DNA you possess right now sitting in these seats at that moment, at the flash of light that happens at the moment conception, DNA is fully there. And in that moment, hair color, eye color, sex have all been determined. 
Isn't that amazing? Science tells us it's a child. Scripture tells us it's a child. At 22 days, the heartbeat begins. At week three, eyes can be seen. At week six, fingers and toes are created. From week six to 11, a baby grows five times in size. And by week 11, there's a simple frown. Fingers are wiggling, and they determine which thumb they prefer to suck. That's at week 11. Babies are killed all day long at week 11. Excuse me. By week 13, the baby can begin to hear vibrations. At six months, everything has been developed. Week 38 to 42, a child is born. Current times, and this is hard. Current times in our country. Governor Cuomo of New York lit up the buildings a few years ago, celebrating the killing of innocent children in the womb. Governor Northam of Virginia, these are current governors, says that if a child survives abortion, we'll make it comfortable until we're ready to kill it. Survives abortion. A child's laying on the table. We'll make it comfortable, and then if the mom wants to kill it, we'll let her. Proven fact, you'll never hear this on your news. The University of Pittsburgh, where it works with Planned Parenthood in Western Pennsylvania, Planned Parenthood sends them children, aborted children, some with heartbeats still beating. Body parts are harvested. That's today. Fauci, his labs fund every bit of it. Every bit of it. That's the University of Pittsburgh today. Happening right now. Planned Parenthood knowingly proven in court over the last two years, has harvested body parts in California hundreds of times over. 3,000 children a day die in our country through abortion. 65 million, give or take, have died since 1973. 20 million of those African-American. Think about that. There should be 20 million African-American babies walking right now on this earth that aren't. At 412 DB Todd, where I go every day, children are aborted. Tomorrow morning, probably 10 children. One day a week, they choose one day where they line up their appointments. On those days, 30 to 40 children will die. This past week, it was on Tuesday that 30 to 40 children died. These are children that can't speak, that can't defend themselves, made in the image of God, that will die tomorrow. Some as old as 22 and 23 weeks. Have you seen what a child looks like in the womb at 22, 23 weeks? So I say this, our land is polluted with blood. The good news is, is that God is the creator of life. Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew of you. Before you were born, I set you apart. He says, I set you apart, that you are holy, that you are sanctified. Every child has a holiness that is set upon it. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, yet as it, there was none of them. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. Psalm 139.13-16, For I formed you in the inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. You are 
fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Who are we to mess with the hands and the works of God when he is intricately weaving together that fearfully and wonderfully made child? Who are we to put our hands on that child and say it has no value? It's just a clump of cells, a lie. That's such a lie. In Luke, Elizabeth encounters Mary. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. Mary is pregnant with Jesus. They encounter the first person to be encountered, to be moved by the Holy Spirit in the presence of Jesus was John the Baptist within the womb. Not a clump of cells. It's a child. Every child is a priority and a blessing, and all should be welcomed in life and protected by our laws. But you say, what about rape? Rape is a great injustice and it deserves punishment. The rapist deserves to be punished. But what is rape? Rape is the forcing of one's will against another's will to bring harm to that person. It is evil. But what is abortion? It's the forcing of one's will against another's will not to bring harm, but to crush it. It's the same spirit. It's not that child's fault. God can free the mom through the pain of rape and he can take that beautiful child and do something amazing with it. Never is there a good time to kill a child. It's not a political issue. It's a moral issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's a gospel issue. It's a Jesus issue. And as Christians, we have a moral imperative to stand up and speak for the innocent children in the womb who can't speak and defend for themselves. It's a spiritual issue. Think about that. It's not just a physical issue. Why do so many women come out of the building crying? Every day tomorrow, I'll see women coming out of the building crying. Why are they crying? Because they are made in the image of God. They are made to love, to nurture, to protect, and to live sacrificially for. And when you go against that, and when you sacrifice instead of living sacrificially for, it crushes you, not only physically, but it crushes you mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. That's why so many women who deal with abortions are suicidal men too. Why does it affect the man? It has nothing physical to do with the man. It has everything spiritual to do with that man. That's why it crushes the man too. That's why a 74-year-old woman can come to me 50 years later still weeping going, is there mercy for me? And does the pain end? Because it's a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. Good news in the midst of this spiritual battle is that Jesus is king. He's on the throne, amen? Ephesians 1.20 tells me that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. You just prayed that the kingdom would come, that his will would be done. Is that just some futuristic thing off in the distance that we hope one day Jesus is going to return, but right now we're just going to suffer? No, I don't believe that. 
The gospel is advancing and it is bearing fruit and it is bearing fruit in the midst of darkness today. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. That's what Ephesians 1.20 says. Ephesians 2 tells us that we too have been raised in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Psalm 110.1 says, sit at my right hand until I make a footstool of your enemies. My Lord says to my Lord, that's the Father speaking to Jesus. Hebrews 2, 7 and 8 says he is crowned with glory and honor and he's put everything to subjection under his feet. Matthew 28, 18 says what? All authority in heaven and where? In earth. All authority in heaven. If Jesus isn't at the right hand of the Father, we don't have all the authority but what propels me to go stand on that line and stand against darkness and have my life threatened every day? What propels me is not the rescue of the child. It's believing that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I am saved, and I am too raised in the heavenly realm. He says the same spirit that raised him out of the grave is the same spirit that raised him to the right hand of the Father and that I possess it. For all of those that believe, I possess it. And if you truly believe that all authority in heaven and earth has been given, then how can we just sit in the pew and not do anything? Do you truly believe that that authority here is here on earth? Then you have to go. You can proclaim all day long. But if your behavior doesn't match your proclamation, it's an empty proclamation. Every woman that walked in that door, in every rescue, we rescued 292 children. 292 children. Thank you. They have this in common. They all proclaim Jesus. If the church would just stop killing her children, abortion goes away. All of them proclaim Jesus, and they all have something else in common. They have compassion. They have a gift of compassion. And all I'm doing as a human being is that I'm coming up and I'm bringing conviction to the Holy Spirit, and women are responding. Their behavior is matching their proclamation. I want to encourage you. We're called to take action. We're called to engage. Matthew 5 tells us to be peacemakers. Peacemakers go where there is no peace. We're called to be salt. Salt isn't just a preserving thing, but it's a take infection thing out of whatever's infected. We're called to be light. We're called to go encounter darkness. We're called to be rivers of living water. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, for anyone in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Isn't that beautiful? Everyone in here proclaims that, right? But then once you have that identity, your highest calling is not just to come to church and raise your hands and sing songs as beautiful as they were. He says, now you've been giving the ministry of reconciliation. That means you go to where there is no reconciliation with the message of reconciliation as ambassadors of Christ and he makes his appeal through us. I want to close with some pictures. And you're seeing some of them now. 
This one right here, we're just going to click through some of them. That young girl right there just turned 16. That's her mom next to her. They pulled up. She was 15 and pregnant. They were angry. The mom was really angry. Screamed at me at the top of her lungs. Said, leave me alone. Leave us alone. I said, I can't. I can't. Protect your grandchild. She went into Planned Parenthood. She came out. She's crying. The daughter's crying. I can help you. How can you help? Just hold that picture right there. She went on our ultrasound bus. She got an ultrasound. The mom came out and said, you know what? We're going to let this child live. We're going to love this child. Bailey, the daughter, is doing great. Their child is beautiful. It was born three weeks ago. So right here is a Marnie. Marnie's 17 years old, pulled into Planned Parenthood with her mom. Said, Holy Spirit, I see the car driving down the road. Said, Holy Spirit, give me something. The car's pulling in. I'm walking towards it. Said, hold up, hold up. Let me pray for you. Amarni's sitting right here. The mom's sitting over here. I said, young lady, what's your name? She said, Amarni. I said, do you know what your name means? She goes, no. I said, it means peace. It's a Swahili word. I said, it means peace. I said, do you know what peace is? She goes, no. I said, peace is not just the removal of something, but biblical peace is the completion of something. And when you know the prince of peace, he not only removes what needs to be removed, but he gives you everything you need because he is complete. And I said, do you have that? And she's like, no. I looked at the mom. I said, why are you here? And she's bawling. The mom's bawling. She said, 17 years ago, I was in this parking lot with her and my womb, and I was going to kill her. But an angel intervened. And God has intervened today. Jacoby is almost three. I spent his second birthday at Chuck E. Cheese in Clarksville. It was awesome. We're walking with her. She's beautiful. Why? Because one Christian chose to get out of the pew and enter into the hard places to be a peacemaker. Let me see the next picture. Young lady in the turquoise shirt there. Those are friends surrounding her. She pulled in. She's with her boyfriend. I said, hey, can I pray with you? And she's like, yeah. So why are you here? She said, ultrasound, I'm going to get abortion. My father's told me that if I don't get an abortion, I'll be homeless. I loved her. I shared the gospel. What's funny is uh, I got her out of the parking lot with her boyfriend, big farmer guy. He was all muddied up, boots and everything. We had to wait like an hour and a half on the ultrasound in Brentwood. I was like, what am I going to do for an hour and a half? And I was outside a, a, a nail salon where they do pedicures. I was like, do you want a pedicure? She's like, yeah. So we walk in there and the lady's like, all three of you? And I'm like, do guys do this? She's like, sure. I was like, farmer dude is like, I've never had one. I was like, let's do it. Dude, guys, go get one. They're amazing. We have been cheated, man. They're awesome. She came out with her ultrasound and said, I'm going to keep him. I said, you're going to take your dad a receipt home? She goes, yeah, this is my receipt, my ultrasound. She went home. He said, get out. We put her in an apartment. We got her a job. She's doing great. She's doing great. And guess what? The grandfather has come to love the child. Isn't that awesome? Let me see another one. 17-year-old from Columbia. She's walking in with her mom, 
has a hand on the door, and the Holy Spirit tells me to command them to come here. Ma'am, come right here, right now. Do not go in that building. Right here, right now. I am to pray with you right now. The mom's looking at me like, okay. They come, I share the gospel. Within two minutes, the mother runs away hysterically, is in the car, leaves me with this young, precious girl. She comes back out. She says, you're right. We shouldn't be here. I was like, no, you shouldn't. I said, let's leave. Are y'all hungry? And they're like, yeah, let's go to Burger King. Went to Burger King. We're eating breakfast together. I said, let's name the child. But we don't know if it's a boy or a girl. I said, let's name it. She said, Genesis. Genesis is doing great. Genesis is doing great. Let me see another picture. Three moms all chose life. They came back on Mother's Day to say thank you at the streets at 412 D.B. Todd, Planned Parenthood. That one's pregnant right there. She now has her child. We helped her get in an apartment, got a washer and dryer for her. She's doing phenomenal. Next, Silas. This is in our community right here. Buddhist mom, struggling. Was thinking about committing suicide, ending the life of her child. Daughter was suicidal, teenage daughter. They were hungry, hadn't eaten for two days. Talked her out of an abortion. Said, what do you need? What do you, I need food. Let's go get food. Load her up a fence. Say, you come to church? We got a food pantry. We'll stock you up every Sunday. They would come every Sunday and get food. Guess what? Hear about Jesus. All three live today. They're not Buddhists. They're Christians. Baptized in the name of Jesus. That's Silas. Isn't that beautiful? Next one. That mom that was pregnant with the three, that's her child right there. That's me in their apartment helping them move. Isn't that a beautiful baby? It's amazing. When you hold one, any child, it's amazing. The only difference between that child and the child in the womb is size and location. All children like that are dependent, but we don't kill children because of size and location. Let me see another one. That's Genesis. Isn't Genesis awesome? She is gorgeous. Planned Parenthood didn't get that one. Next. That's Genesis and her mama there. Next. That's one that was just recently born. That's actually, that's the daughter of the 15-year-old, the 16-year-old right now. That's Bailey's daughter right there. Next. This was this week. You know, it rained last week. I think it was on Tuesday. It was the downpour. That's my mobile unit. This couple was pulling in. Holy Spirit said, go across stress all turn around in a Walgreens parking lot. Holy Spirit said, go to that car right now and stop them. And I did. I'm sitting there on one knee talking to the mom. The father's driving. I got that mom in my mobile unit. I sat in that car for 45 minutes and told a Muslim about Jesus. Guess what? I'll throw a baby shower for that one too. And I will hold that child as well. And we're going to meet their needs. We're helping them get in an apartment right now. That was this week. Next. I'll end on this one. This is cute. It's bigger than abortion. I know I've talked a lot about abortion and rescue children. It's bigger than abortion. 
when I go down there, I go with the gospel, but I engage everybody in the culture because our culture does not know Jesus. This guy right here was walking up the street one day. He was homeless. He was thinking about checking out, but he took a temporary job to pick up garbage one day, and he got off the bus. He was sad. He was walking up the hill, and I'm standing here trying to rescue children. He walked up behind and said, hey, man, I'm Scott. I'd love to pray with you. He says, yeah, can I pray with you? He's like, yeah, man. We pray. I open my eyes, I look at him, he's bawling. I was like, you good? He goes, I am now. I am now. He picked up garbage all day. He watched me. I said, hey, man, you want to come to church with me? He goes, yeah. I said, I'll pick you up Sunday. Where do I pick you up at? Homeless shelter. I got you. Begin to go back into Nashville every Sunday and pick up my friends. Still do it. Did it today. My buddy Billy. Where you at, Billy? Right there. Raise your hand. It's bigger than abortion. I didn't know how angry this dude was at white people. I didn't know how much rage he had. I didn't know he was addicted to cocaine and alcohol and pills. But the Lord said, go the distance. I would show up in the courtroom when he was going through his trials and he would look over and see this white dude sitting there. He's like, why is this dude always there? And finally he's like, dude, why are you always here? Every time I look over, you're here. Why? I said, because the Lord has called me to you. Okay. You live south of Birmingham today, drives a cement truck, he's married, got a little, little baby. He's freed from cocaine, alcohol, pills. He's family. He's family. This isn't our last stop, the pew. The question is, what are you going to do with the gospel? There's somebody out there that needs you. You have to face your fear of being quiet. It's not just for preachers or pastors or evangelists. Every one of you have the call to take the gift of what God has given you, the grace that God has given you, and you are to take it and speak with humility, love, and truth. Billy's a part of my family. I was standing on the street one day. He's like, hey, man. Billy's got this high voice. What are you doing? I said, they kill babies here. Really? And he started to scream. I'm like, what's up with him? I didn't know that he's a survivor of abortion. His hands are affected by it. His feet are affected by it. I didn't find that out until two months ago. I've known this dude for four years. He's part of my family. All these empty seats right here. Go get busy being the church. Today, and I'll close right here, worship team. You come up if that's what y'all do. A year ago, actually last May, in the heart of COVID, the Lord spoke to me and spoke again. He said, Give up your position as a senior pastor, give up your income, and be a missionary full time for me. It's like, Lord, it's not a good time. People are begging for work and whatnot and the Lord's like I got you 
So in June, a year ago today, I stepped out in faith. Instead of going two days a week, I go five days a week. I'll be at Planned Parenthood five days a week, rescuing children and sharing the gospel, and I'm training people all over the world now on how to do what I do, how to see, hear, and respond. So I formed Operation Saving Life, and I've got Skyboard Ministries. And I walk out each day, and the reason I can is because you guys got my back. Thank you. Thank you. I'll rescue two children this week, and I can go because of y'all. So, praise the Lord for Victory Church. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be a part of you. You are the head of the church. We are the body. And we are being built up into you right now. And so, Lord, thank you for Victory Church. Thank you for the beauty that's here, the love that I felt here. But this isn't the final call. This isn't the climax of who we are. Sunday is here to propel us to Monday, to Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday to be the church. Lord, I pray that you work on hearts here today. Somebody is being stirred and they realize that they've gotten comfortable in the pew. Lord, make them miserable, just like you made me miserable. Make them miserable and force them, encourage them, convict them to go where there is no peace, to be peacemakers, to encounter the darkness because they possess the light, to be salt, to rid the infection that is all throughout our society. Protect this church, protect Pastor Troy, encourage him, and give him the strength and fill him with vision to love his people, but to love the lost as well. In your holy name we pray, and everybody say, amen.